0: Welcome to 80s Music Exposed The podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s One month at a time We will break them down, give you the skinny And duke it out over whether you should or should not Dig these back out again If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive From Public Enemy to Ram, Eno to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, Reggae And all points in between then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry.
1: Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I'm so glad to be back. Mm-mm. It's been a long time. You caught me off guard there. I needed to clear my throat. Sorry, I didn't know
2: you were starting, Henry. That's all right. That's Maybe all right. a hand signal or something at this point. I, I something do, like I 20 do,
1: episodes in, I, you I could gesture, give a guy throw I, a bone to your partner. A gesture... A gesture, a, a gesticulate. You never, you know, I never look over at you. So. I'm so glad to be back with the cans on, man. It's been like a holiday, and we've uh, this particular rack of songs. I've sat with a little bit, so... Yes. I might even... My opinions may be better formed. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. I guess so. Why don't we tell people, because we haven't in a while, how we choose our records? So, we have a method that we use. It's called RAGS. The R stands for the Rolling Stone... five-star reviews
2: not now not currently going back but but the way it was back in the day
1: and we also use the a for all music website called all music and they do
2: five-star reviews and if it got five stars on all music we're covering it the
1: g grammy winners that's right the s is my my favorite one of course it's shit we like and that can can vary between the two of us a lot, but also like we made up the show, so we can cover whatever we want. Rags, <laughs> rags, and you can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher. Please like us there, review us, and share us with your friends. But Henry, when we go into the time machine and go back, where are we going this week?
2: We're
0: <laughs> gonna go back in time. Go
2: back
1: in time.
0: Oh, uh,
2: you're good at that.
1: You're better at me. to
2: september of 1981 that's right and let's just refresh some of the people's minds about what was going on if they would live through it maybe they didn't maybe we've got some young fans that weren't even there but what happened henry In September of
1: 1981. The Smurfs debuted on September
2: the 12th. Yes, the Smurfs debuted on September 12th. And, ma'am, did my life change when the Smurfs came into picture? Because I had a younger sister who was Smurf crazy. Was she really? Yep. You remember the little figurines? Little rubberized figurines? Uh Uh-huh. I had about a million of those fucking things. I get up in the middle of the night and step on a goddamn Smurf. What happened on
1: September 25th of... 1981. So Sandra Day O'Connor, the first female Supreme Court judge, was sworn in. She's a justice, not a judge, but yes. I'm sorry, justice. Let's give her
2: her due. That's awesome. Uh, On September 19th, Simon and Garfunkel did the Central Park uh, concert, which I think we talked about a little bit in our last episode. We did. The record came out. Uh, On September 28th, Olivia Newton-John releases
1: Physical. Which will become Billboard's Song of the Year for 1981. We were watching some, like, 80s videos just to sort of get back in it. And we looked at physical. And that is a really shitty, like, well, I guess, sexist. Yeah, it wouldn't pass the, the, the now, mean, the
2: um, um, politically correct test. I nowadays. guess not.
1: Like, it's really mean to fat people. Yes. You know? Yes, it is. Like really, mean. there's a, it, it, what Henry's trying to say. is There's quite a bit of fat shaming in yeah, the physical yeah, like, video. Yeah, yeah. We're we're beyond. I don't think like it made me uncomfortable. Like to, seeing that, like holy shit, we're really mean to people. I don't really remember it that way. I remember it just being an
2: awesome video about working out. And uh, I, well,
1: that in my mind's eye, it was that. But then I revisited it and I realized, holy shit. So I would make the point. I would. I would. I would pause it, Henry. Mm-hmm.
2: that I don't think there would have been a Jane Fonda workout in 1982 if there had not been a physical well, by Olivia Newton-John already set up the narrative
1: so you know that this came first. So she says she's been
2: doing that workout forever. But I wonder now, when I looked up this Olivia Newton-John factoid, that it's like a year before the Jane Fonda workout. And I'm like, hmm. It was called Aerobicize, Henry, and it was on Showtime, and I was a big fan as a, as a small, that's straight small up, child. That's
1: straight up softcore. Like.
2: Henry, let's get into some records now. We're going to start with, oh man, yes. I am so glad it's this time again, Henry. Genesis put out another record. and This one is called Abacab. It falls under the shit we like category, or at least shit I like category, and this song is no reply at all. You when i was doing my listening for this one thinking i am so happy that my man henry gets to experience gets another genesis record uh, this soon
1: i love that you put it right at the front here so we can just get, get it on the table and get it taken care of
2: <laughs> you know so i want to say this the song we just listened to no reply at all is my favorite all-time fucking genesis song ever i love it it's perfect it's great and it has these wonderful horn breaks and henry so Phil, do your imitation of a Genesis Horn Break. There it is. There it is. There's a lot of those in No Reply at all. There's also this cool. I learned. I learned this Henry. Uh, looking it up, there is a over underhanded keyboard technique that creates this really cool like sampled uh, keyboard sound that I was just blown away by. Um, I'm trying to look up exactly what it's called. It's called the Prophet 5 cross-handed keyboard technique. Prophet 5? That was the keyboard he was using. It's the Prophet 5 cross-handed well, you know keyboard technique, which... It creates this dope and funky riff, in my opinion, um, (laughs) that, according to critics, harkens back to their classic album, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I also like this song a lot, Henry, because Rutherford doesn't play much guitar. He plays bass, and that dude is a really
1: good bass player. So here's what it is. Phil Collins walks into the studio, and he says, hey, guys, I wrote a hit record. (laughs) I'm sure you all saw that Mike Rutherford's like, fine. I'm just gonna play these like janky little chords or nothing at all on most of this. And by the way, <laughs> the title song is gonna have like three and a half solid minutes of like simple ass, like tardy like keyboard stuff. It's great. I'm a, it's a great song. That we're gonna pass off as like a meaningful song. And the very next song is gonna have these like bleedy exclamation points. <laughs> The whole time from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, Henry's right. making fun completely, of Earth, Wind, and we're Fire. We're going to completely right misuse Earth, Wind, and Fire. Henry's going to Henry's right. going to uh, make fun of Earth, Wind, and the Fire. Also by worked. the way, everybody who liked Duke loved it, and they liked it on your hits too, Phil. Yes. So and we're guess gonna do what? I, I guess
2: Earth, Wind, and Fire were happy with their work because they came back from those other two albums to hey, work on this. And
1: hey, Tony, you're such a happy keyboards guy. Came up with a dope keyboard that, line for the song. Your fans, God, Phil, your fans are going to love it. I mean, the record, it's, was it influenced by face value? Absolutely. Let's talk right. turkey, fans. For you right. fans out there like right. me, so this album. The second half of Abacab acts like it's going to be good. No, The second half and is then, good. And then they go back to that stupid like keyboard shit again with those tweaky little farts and bullshit all over it. I don't get it.
2: Are you done? I'm done. Okay, so for those of us that love this album and love Genesis, <laughs> this is a great album. Um, it's really cool because they're still transitioning from Duke. They're still coming into the 80s uh, kind of new wave thing. They're trying to – I like to call it molt. They're trying to molt out of the Oh, you um, like um, Peter Gabriel, yeah, yeah. prog rock Genesis into – And what I would call a bad period, because when we get towards Invisible Touch, they've, they've flown too close to the sun, they've burned themselves up. That's the next one, right? Well, there's one more in between. But anyway, there's a lot of hits on this one. Phil is in his fucking prime, people. He's just done Face Value. He's got some stuff left over. The three of them are producing stuff. Even Tony says... We did an extra hour of music for this record. We could have put out a double album, but we all decided we didn't want to sound like Genesis. So we dropped any track that had what we considered to be old hack Genesis type things in it. So even Tony's trying to like that's, bring it to the '80s, which is pretty impressive. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. Huh?
2: Again, a lot of these songs, I think they're at the top of their game here. A lot of Genesis fans call Duke the classic record. Um, from the new era i think abacab's better for my money i like abacab better um and no reply at all no matter what henry says i think it's my favorite genesis song of all time i think we are getting ready to begin a downhill slide for them but abacab i am recommending we've already decided either
1: you like genesis or don't generally speaking i feel like you, there's most two, people are either one of the there's other there's
2: two genesis
1: there's, okay. There's the other. There's the Peter Gabriel Genesis, right?
2: Which has and its, its most, own fan base that usually doesn't really know. like Phil Collins Genesis. Here's the interesting thing, Henry. If you think about it like a needle on your gas needle, uh-huh. the band went all the way from Peter Gabriel Prague um, hipster obscurity, but no one really liked them, through this middle section. And all the way to the other end, where by Invisible Touch, the band is so opposite of what they were with Peter Gabriel. People actually thought Peter Gabriel hated those guys. They thought he wanted to beat their asses, and he never did. But that middle section, as the needle goes through the middle, is Duke and Abacab and great records, great records. Don't be influenced by Invisible Touch if you you think you haven't heard Abacab. Go back. Check it out. Henry hates it. He just hates Genesis. I just don't like Genesis. Never liked Genesis. But yeah, so I'm going to recommend this album. Henry, I actually love this record. And guess what I'm going to call it? This record is 80s music canon. Another
1: annoying thing. (laughs) They have to be called canon.
2: Henry, do you recommend this record? What do you tell the folks?
1: No, I do not recommend it.
2: Okay. Well, there you have it. That's... This is... as the
1: opposite as we can get. Yes and no... I'm not into Genesis.
2: And I really thank this show. I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank the program for getting me to realize that I love Genesis. I fucking was like Henry. I was a cynical, snobby, uh, (laughs) down-on-my-luck old man who wears patches on his jacket and smokes a pipe and sits around and talks about nerdy stuff who said he hates Genesis. But really, I'm a fun-loving guy, uh, younger than I appear. Um, I I play tennis all the time, and I love Genesis.
1: <laughs> Henry, what's our next record? Fucking <laughs> The next record. Hey, okay. Guess guess it now for something completely different. We're gonna listen. This we're gonna consider Hall of Oates'
2: Private Eyes. And this, by the way, is a Rolling Stone five star. Five star. Yes. Yeah.
1: record get five stars
2: we did identify it as kind of a starting of a transitional period for them Mm -hmm. the reason i put this record next to the genesis one henry is that i think you could at least see the argument that both hall and oates and genesis are bands transitioning Mm -hmm. from a 70s uh, for hall and oates it was a soul doo-wop thing Mm -hmm. Um, for genesis obviously it was prog into but they're both actually bands that will end up glomming on to new wave but here i would make the argument that they both end
1: up becoming something that sounded like the 80s themselves so here i i I may have a similar trajectory with hollow notes that you have with genesis i used to not like hollow notes at all or i used to deride them a lot and then i started listening to the songs like listening to the way they're written and i'm like you know what People are still using the same songwriting techniques and the same stuff that Hall & Oates did in, in really good songs that I like. Like, I, I mean, you could, you could put Hall & Oates and like Broken Bells in the same room and those guys could talk about songs in the same way with the same structure and all of that stuff. I used to hate them, you know. Uh, Private Eyes is not a bad song. I also like in the general history of things in
2: 100 years mm-hmm. people will say listen they'll dig up this podcast and they'll say Henry was just talking about a hollow oats record awesome what the fuck is a broken bells no <laughs> I love how we hipsters equate is hip cool it? 2000s bands that no one's listened to I get it. We put them over bands like Hall & Oates, which I totally agree with you. Use the same song structures yeah. and techniques. Um, but there was a stigma to being a Hall & Oates fan for us. Yeah. Because we were into punk rock and Hall and & Oates represented. Yeah. Um,
1: but these guys
2: found hits
1: over and over Well, and let's over talk again. about that
2: specifically with this record. This album um, had two number one hits. Yeah. Privatized, and I can't go for that. It also had uh, two... Top ten hits. What did it in a minute? Yeah, think about that chorus. Right. It's I mean that's a hook. I mean that's a serious hook. Okay, well let me tell you the way I judge Holland Oats, and it may be unfair, but I, I've always thought Hollown Oats had hits that were great. They were just standard hits. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves them, okay? I'm mm-hmm. not gonna I'm not gonna throw stones at that. Mm-hmm. Kinda like Journey. Mm-hmm. But did they ever make a record that didn't have what me and you used to call there's the filler there's the filler yeah. track. And I would say Voices had plenty of filler. Sure. This one was my first box-to-box listen of a, of a Hall & Oates record where I went, you know what? Every one of these songs probably could yeah. have been a hit. I don't know why uh, some of these other songs... Um, I was looking at Head Above Water and Your Imagination. Listen to those and pretend that you knew those songs already. Yeah. And you're like, they're every bit as good as did it in a minute. I am going to recommend this record, Henry, because it's That's so it's solid. To it's it's yeah. top to bottom good.
1: Um, and, uh, and so they kind of won me over with it. I listened to the whole record from beginning to end. And um, mostly they were starting to define what a pop rock star. They are the most successful pop rock duo. In American history. Oh,
2: I would I would think you're right. I mean, what,
1: who would be the Everly Brothers? Like not as many as these guys. No, that's what I mean. I mean, who would you be next? Someday, listener, put on Hollow Notes' greatest hits. Well, let me also
2: make a plug here, and I'm talking specifically about private eyes. Let me make a plug here for mm-hmm. the G. E. Smith band, um, who most of us know from SNL. Yeah. They I'm, were the band for hollow Oates for um four five records this was the second album they did and it is i think what happened on voices was they gained the um complete confidence and respect of hollow notes and there is a lot of cool guitar work and a lot of good bass work on this album where i think hollow notes finally were like these guys are like part of what we're doing and letting them go but um that really, to me, made these songs better. I think if they'd have been, had a bigger voice on voices, it might have been better. You think so? The band, the production, I thought, was also more band-oriented as opposed to just their vocals. Um, I, 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 I put down in my notes, check out this song called uh, Friday Let Me Down. Mm-hmm. Check out the rhythm guitar work on that. That sounds like what you and I uh, equated with 90s. Right. It's a clean... Um, Reverb and chorus, yeah, kind of driven sound. Really cool. Um, I also wanted to say I do have two criticisms in this record, and maybe I'm quibbling, but uh, the first one is I did feel like by the end, hollow notes do have, to me a predictable a little bit of a predictable chorus. Hook kind of sound like they always kind of go in the same direction with their choruses. They've uh-huh. got a couple songs where the verses you are like, "Oh, this one's going to get a little well, wacky," and then yeah. it comes
1: back to this chorus. Did it in a minute though. That chorus was gets there late, right? You I know? agree. It's but like it, the key, you're waiting for it the whole time, right? I, and
2: I get what you're saying, but I yeah. do think that, like, if you've heard Hall and Ogie, you kind of these uh-huh. choruses. The other one I have is. I know he had to have a song but if you do cut mono a mono, the oh. the oats effort. The one oats
1: effort on yeah. this album is the, pretty much a dog. So Hall and Oats gets by because Daryl Hall is a good singer. Like really good. I also think Oates is a great
2: backup singer. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he's a great songwriter and it's kind of Well,
1: I don't know. It's hard to know who contributes something, right? Well they
2: do there. well they actually they actually do um, put down mostly who the writers were. Oates wrote Mono and Mono completely oh, on his own. Danny. They always, uh, Hall and Oates more worked in a you get two, I get six kind of framework. Oh. So Oates would get his songs. But yeah, I think if you took that song off, uh, this is this is a great
1: record. So in the research for this, I'd realized that um, John Oates wrote a book recently. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. he. They had him on the AV club not too long ago and he's promoting his book and I watched the video. I'm going to try to find it. I'm on this tear with rock and roll bios lately like Liz Farron. I've got Debbie Harry's right now, maybe I'll get John O's. That's interesting,
2: there's another artist we're going to cover later in this episode that I am reading uh, her autobiography so so that all ties in pretty well so I think you're going to recommend this album as well, right? Thumbs up, yeah. Okay, great I I didn't expect that from you actually Um, the next record we're going to cover is by a band called Cabaret Voltaire the album is called Red Mecca Um, it's an all music five star album and this song is Landslide
1: I'm so jealous you got to introduce this one. Oh, really? Yes. I want to let you have it. <laughs> Sorry. I knew I had heard the name Cabaret Voltaire, and I think I'd, I probably heard it, heard it in both contexts, that both the band that existed and, um, and the other French movement, I guess, just referred to. Not that I knew anything about it. I just heard the words. So I knew there was a band, uh, Cabaret Voltaire. I knew nothing about them. Love this album very interesting record um, I'd say that their palette was even larger than Joy Division I think that, and I think that may be one of the reasons why they weren't more successful so I'm going to try to describe the record if I can maybe you can help me for people I'm hearing a lot of sort of field recording influence here did you catch that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it shocked me, because uh, uh, I I have not heard this record before either, and maybe I, I, I equated this in my mind with uh, uh, Japan. Yeah. Now, although it doesn't sound like the not Japan. A, yeah. But it was one of those things where I I think me and you... Even in the '90s, coming along, had heard those names over and over, and we were we were like, we should like these, we should like this, but we, we did, never we, we never bought it.
1: it. Yeah, we didn't have access but,
2: to it. But to your point, uh, yes, I. What I was going to say is, there's a record called. Uh, my life in the bush with ghosts or something. Yeah, my life in that that we covered record, in 1980 yeah. that it reminded me a lot of that like there's some sort of field recording stuff going on here. I feel like Yeah, um, a
1: yeah. lot of found sound kind of thing. Exactly. And that's the thing that really impressed me about it. if if it's this is your entry point to Cabaret Voltaire, the next record was apparently more commercial. This was a concept record based on issues of the rise
2: of the religious right. Yes. in the United States and Islam in the Middle East. And a lot of people compare it now favorably to um, The The's Infected because both records came out around the same time. Tell me you did not write that down.
1: Did you come up with that idea on your own? Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't come up with it on my own, but I Holy thought that shit. on my own, and okay, then I went back and saw that Here's did what that. I wrote. I think that Matt Johnson snatched some of his vocal effects off of the song called Slide Out."
2: Which is possible. I I guess Uh what you're
1: saying is you heard Uh um, in the actual music. I think think he – I said that I thought he took some of the sound snippet ideas from Armageddon days. And I took
2: it from what the record was about, but basically said – that's it's amazing. reminiscent of infected by That's both That's so up.
1: amazing when but, we come to that idea. I swear to God, I haven't consulted you. All. But I also thought the interesting right. part about
2: that, Henry, is how prophetic both of those were and timely they are now. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And I know exactly what you're saying. For these punk rock guys to be, like,
2: <laughs> calling yeah. the shit, like, 25 years yes. ahead of time. And you're like...
1: I thought they were just punk rock guys. Exactly. And it's was like, history is repeating itself. Yes. Again. Yes. And so I did research. I said, I wrote down. So in my yeah, notes, continue. What did, what did you said, write? Down I'd be very you. surprised if Matt Johnson didn't listen to Cabaret Voltaire at some point. I did research, and he did play shows with these people. Okay, so you found actual stuff. Like to back they, you up. they were real. They were in the room together. These Great. Guys, it's okay. so it's really cool to like a uh, records that you and I worship, basically. You know. Going back and now finding like oh my god this is like a, a brother record or a, or, <laughs> or sister record or it's like yeah. I can see where where he where he was whether intentionally or not like gathered those ideas together they percolated to where he could put them because you can you can look at the sound effects on the vocal and and it's like well and folks
2: too just so you know this is um, dark. Yeah, music. This this guy doesn't sound like he's not making half. Another funny thing is I put it next to Private Eyes because to me it was the most opposite uh, record I could find uh um, from Private Eyes that I'm actually going to recommend as well. Like if you're listening at home, you're going, "How the fuck is this guy recommending Private Eyes and then Cabaret (laughs) Voltaire?" But I am. I I really thought it was um, so
1: almost like a learning. It was almost like a learning experience. Like, it's right. deep.
2: It's heavy. it's
1: because we attached a lot to... We think that some of these guys that we have worshipped invented the stuff that they did, right? And the, the, and and they did some, some of it, but not all of it. Like, if you... You'll hear... Um, you will hear Peter Hookie-style bass on this, on this record. That... Um, the effect... It, it must have been a common bass effect to music back then. I thought that... The, it was just his thing, but no, right. a lot of those bass players had the, Especially English
2: um, punk rock bass players. Yeah. Um, uh, what Henry alluded to earlier also, uh, Cabaret Voltaire would sign to a major label in 1983, and they would make an attempt to appease that and be a little more um, mm-hmm. commercial. But actually, if you listen to that next record, it's not that much more commercial sure. sound. They didn't really give a shit. But they got blamed like all indie bands do by their fan base for selling out and their fan base kind of colored things that they were trying to be more commercial when I don't think they really were. Cabaret Voltaire, to me, if you read about them and listen to what they're, I don't think they, I don't think it was possible for them to try to be commercial. They were too like so they were too caught up all the time in I got political issues and like what was going on to actually be
1: mm-hmm. worried about commercialism. I stuck with this for a few hours cuz it interested me so much and I was trying to find an interview with these guys around that time. I didn't want to listen to the 60-year-old guys tell me what in retrospect after all what their victories and disappointments. I wanted to hear what they thought it was about at the time and i couldn't find anything from stephen melinder who was the guy but i did find an interview from chris watson he eventually moved on to do like tv stuff um and field recording stuff and he won all kinds of awards for that for field recording 2010 he did an art project at uh, this children's hospital where they were using sound recordings made by children to calm other young patients as they received injections and other treatments. It's like, it's almost like I feel like these guys should be friends with Mission of Burma or Something like that. Like, they're supposed to know each other or something right? to, to me. But, he, you know, the guy's probably 60-some years right now. But what he was talking about at the time was the practical ways to let people know that an album was a, available. And he was complaining that in the records before this, they were selling their albums to the same 15,000 people. Which I thought was interesting because he, he'll he – the, Chris Watson at the time is speaking at a, almost out of two sides of his mouth, where he's saying, we want to sell more. We're on rough trade, but we want them to act more like a record label. They're trying so hard to be cool and indie that they need to realize that they are at an independent record label and should act like one and should try to sell our album.
2: You know.
1: <laughs> well, and also for, for,
2: for fans of um, – if you're a big fan of English – indie rock from the time period, mm-hmm. um, that was always Morrissey's complaint with Rough Trade. He always thought they could have made it in America if Rough Trade had acted like a record company instead of yeah. some sort of hip, um, clickish elite. Um, so I, I'm, I'm familiar with that, but not from the Cabaret Voltaire perspective, yeah. but from the Smiths' perspective.
1: So what, here's what I think about them. I think Cabaret Voltaire was more into the sound than the song. I think they were more—they were more into what what it should sound like than the structure of the thing. And I would say that maybe the reason why Joy Division was successful was because of people like Martin, Hammett, excuse me, that um, that took that sound, took the things that these guys wanted to do, and made them nail it into discernible hooks and beats in a, in a song structure, like. The, the, what this band did was made me pull away from my, like, verse-chorus-verse and put me in a world of sound, which I thought was really neat. But I think as far as success goes, I think Joy Division had a leg up because of the songwriting elements. Like, if you listen to Red Mask from this from this record we just listened to, it sounds like Joy Division, you know?
2: I I, I would say that... You're probably right. I don't know enough about Cabaret Voltaire prior to this, but I yeah, did read on neither. All Music, um, they said this one held together. This is the first Cabaret Voltaire album to hold together well because there isn't a big is that it? just experimental part. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe you're right, and they were kind of trying to pull it together. Maybe
1: this was the song That's what I mean. Maybe this weather. was them trying to pull that so, together. So what I'm left with really is exactly where we are right now, was this raises more questions for me right than it, uh, which I think is a good thing yeah Cabaret Voltaire seems like the band that you stole from <laughs> you know right the cool
2: band that the, the other look. musicians stole from but yeah. didn't get the uh, so
1: it was re- I was really thrilling for me to to uh, listen to it it flips a lot of my assumptions that I've made about that time on its side who was like the originator of a thing who popularized this thing you know it's right. always very exciting like I now, now I have all these records that I really need to listen to so alright so we both uh, are going to recommend that and you're a thumbs up on it too I'm definitely a thumbs up on it alright so the next one we're going to look at is Marianne Faithful it's an album called Dangerous Acquaintances uh, that we're going to play part of a song called Strange One this is a Rolling Stone five star record
2: say right up front and I, I don't know how whether you like or don't like this record but um i don't like this record very much but i'm, I'm gonna say i'm gonna speak a little bit about what did interest me just because i'm reading her autobiography right now mm-hmm. Marion faithful is vastly more interesting as a person than this record is if for those of you that don't know she started out in the 60s as a pop star um an english pop star who sang songs that were written for her she represented all that i i don't know how to what would you call it Henry, that stuff that the smiths were into that or that mid-60s like white yeah. white girls doing soul sort of kind I of music i guess yeah. um like sandy shaw mm-hmm. and and Marian faithful she ended up becoming the girlfriend and then wife of both well wife of mick jagger i think but girlfriend definitely of keith richards really um until this 1970 when, believe it or not, her heroin addiction was so h- harsh and heavy that it was too much for Keith, which is, just think about that. That's amazing. Um, so the entire 1970s up until about 1978, she was pretty much just on the streets um, doing heroin, uh, trying to get off heroin, hardcore drugs, blew her voice out completely with drug smoking and Singing, And then when she started trying to make a comeback in 1978 or 79, she made this awesome record called Broken English. Now, Broken English is like um, celebrated by punk rock people because it sounds punk rock. Um, It is her laying everything out there because she's still struggling with addiction and doesn't give a fuck she is if you go back and look at some youtube interviews from that time period she's basically the female version of keith Richards. she does not give a fuck you ask her a question you're going to get an answer and if you come at it with some sort of moral um if she can smell that you've got some sort of moral high ground thing she's just going to eviscerate you um that album is so much better than this album that i really had trouble with this album because i love broken english this album to me sounds like production-wise, somebody got a hold of her and said, "Okay, you made that one, but we can make hits." And it's like the songs from Broken English, but done with bad '80s production, and it—they okay. just don't come off well. I, 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 I do want to say one okay. other thing about the '70s, and then I'll let you get to it. Yeah, just just to be interesting, um, I, I copied this to out of uh, an article I found. Okay, a severe laryngite is coupled with. Per- persistent drug abuse during the 70s permanently altered her voice, leaving it cracked and lower in pitch. While the new sound was praised as whiskey-soaked by some critics, others found it to be too harsh. Faithful, at the time of Broken English, moved into a squat without hot water or electricity in Chelsea with her then-boyfriend Ben Breeley of the punk band The Vibrators. So really? she went from a 60s iconic white girl's English soul song through the Rolling Stones and into being the girlfriend that. of a vibrator, which is amazing. Uh, her career returned full force in '79. the same year she was arrested for marijuana possession in Norway. She also did an ill-fated SNL um, episode in 1981 where her voice just locked up. Really? And they think it was because she was high at the time, but mid-song she just locked up. And this was on live television. I cannot find that anywhere.
1: Okay. I Look, I've, you and I have researched the same grooves. I had the same problem finding that SNL thing. Dangerous acquaintances, you can't get it on Spotify.
2: You yeah, I had to listen to, to it
1: on YouTube. Correct. you got to go to YouTube to get it. So it's it's not suspect, on iTunes either. All right, so I'm landing on, very close to where you're landing on this thing. I believe this this record. If you're looking for the entry point, this isn't it. All I
3: right?
1: wish we could switch the records. Yeah, to cover Yeah, because for the our problem show. is my notes started following Broken English because that's the one that it's, I like. It's
2: way more interesting.
1: Than I this wanted to to look at. I listened to Broken English just to give me some context of why this one wasn't as good, right? But anyway did i interrupt you
2: I'm no I'm, I'm i'm just sitting here like <laughs>
1: so. I, I just think this thing, like this
2: lady is so in 1981 despite her comeback she was still battling with addiction at one point she broke her jaw tripping over a flight of stairs while under the influence in another incident her heart stopped hmm. and she is completely she's brilliant i don't know if you've seen yes. interviews she's brilliant she doesn't make any Apologies. Nope. She doesn't
1: say I was. Did you catch the one where she there in her apartment? She has to be. She's like now. Like, yes, yes, currently. Yeah. yeah, with the really cool apartment and a probably a pretty expensive part of. Yeah, London. she
2: reminds me now
1: of Leonard uh, Cohen in his old age. <laughs> yeah. Just like this sage, um, uh, and she had a very nice. She may have more than one place to live. I mean, I'm know, sure she she's does. married she's, and faithful, yeah, yeah. right? Um, We missed Broken English just barely because it's right outside of of our our window. Of our windows, like November 79. Did you get the feeling, or do you get the feeling after
2: kind of knowing her story a little bit, that um – there's a there's a huge element of sexism that play here because if you had a, a white you should read my notes male rock star right. that was this thing in the '60s then became this thing in the '70s and then became another thing in the '80s and '90s you would be celebrating him as an icon or a legend mm-hmm. and she's usually the first thing people say about her is she was the boy she was the girlfriend
1: of, of the rolling of, of a Rolling one. Stone multiple Rolling Stone right. So you yeah. had that kind of in well, your... yeah, but I I was thinking more of it in context with this record because I sure get, I get the feeling she was being manipulated during this. I do too. It feels this one doesn't sound right. It's it sounds wrong, and so she, uh, the same guy that recorded this, Mark Mundy, who apparently, I can't find anything else this fucking I guy has done. I can't either.
2: I, I was I went right to the same spot you did on that. Yeah.
1: And I'm looking for other records Mark Mundy's done. He ain't done shit that I can tell. I got a real
2: creepy feeling like that guy that kind of um, controlled Yeah. the guy from the Beach Boys for a while, Brian. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't even – but he did broken English. So it's like, okay, he must then have, I Then I felt like he was like, okay, now we can try
2: to make some maybe, money. M- maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That's my guess. The the only thing I will say in defense of this record, which is not the record, is because I had to watch it on YouTube. Yeah. A couple of the songs had videos, and huh. those were some strange fucking videos. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, some if, just walking around. Just in a weird yeah. way too. Like the clothing was weird. Everything like if you want to see go. That's the
1: best part of this record, is just seeing her. In um, the in this weird the cover, video, the album cover that I saw, which I think is the real one, they have her lips all kind of. Done up way way more puffy than it seems like they really were at the time. Like I looked at the record cover yes. and then her. son, I know they're trying to sex her up a little bit, right? Um, Which, by the
2: way, if you look at if you look at pictures of her in the sixties and yeah. uh, uh, early seventies, she is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, you can actually see what drugs and alcohol did to her. Not that she wasn't pretty as an older person, but I mean, like. Yeah. She kind of she kind of aged like Keith Richards did, in my opinion. Like she is to me the female Keith. She doesn't get the credence that Keith gets as like the greatest rock and roller of all time or whatever. But I, I wonder if part of that is because of it's a female story. Maybe. Like everyone wants to wants all the interviews I see with her. It's people wanting to shame her for her mm-hmm. behavior. Do you regret now any of your lifestyle choices and you I'm know sure. those kind of
1: questions? Yeah. Which
2: she just malls people with you know but the drug
1: like, abuse made her voice more interesting
2: yeah i mean I it mean, did and she doesn't apologize just, for drugs even now she's so like i enjoyed it and she's and you know they tried to do this thing which i thought was sexist there's a lot of questions about but don't you think it was the influences of the people you were hanging around with? and she's like no I, I i took drugs myself i know how to take I, you know i could have not taken the drugs it wasn't Anybody telling me to do it? I did it. I liked it. You would never see people asking Keith. Do you think it was because you were hanging around with certain bad influences that you took? Oh right.
1: yeah. No, I know he's Keith Richards, dude. But poor little shit. You yeah. Know, poor little girl can't make decisions on her own. Right. Wrong,
2: right. There's a lot of that. Always I feel like, do
1: on top. Sure. And they, she said that Monday would talk shit about the musicians, and would make them think that that they can't play. And would tell her that she can't sing.
2: Well, I believe I read a review, too, that like said that. when you instantly see that there's over 17 sesame musicians yeah. on a record, you got to start immediately yeah. going, hmm.
1: But regardless, regardless of all that bullshit, there are high points. Uh, the closer truth, bitter truth is very good. Yes, I agree with that. And, and I do, I wonder,
2: I wonder if you thought this, and the songs themselves, if you have an ear to take them out of that production. I kept thinking if they yeah. had produced this like Broken English it might not have been the, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the songs themselves aren't necessarily terrible mm-hmm. it sounds like they're just it's just a miss production wise.
1: Yeah it's a the, that song particularly suits her husky voice uh, that and apparently that wasn't always the case like they didn't always have the right songs for her. Right. Or, or what I love about truth bitter truth it's like it sounds like it's coming right from her own head uh, it, it, and, it, and you know I always have I love bands as you know who sound like they might fall apart any second like, that I'm right, dangerous. that me. appealed to you about Broken English. A lot, yeah. yeah. But particularly the the one Truth, Bitter Truth, that one. On this album. On right. this album. Okay. Sounds a I lot. I feel
2: like Broken English, the whole album, yeah. she <laughs> <you> could <laughs> fall apart in any yeah, second. Yeah, yeah.
1: I love it for that. But it's like... Um,
2: I, I hate to break up the wave of recommends because I'm three uh-huh. for three right now, but um i'm going to recommend the person but not the album this is not the right album if yeah. you want to if you want to explore her
1: so it so this is um this is a, a no for me but but i encourage anybody who listens to it if you haven't heard broken english man go get that thing
2: and if you want to read an interesting rock autobiography this lady lived. Did she write it. it herself? Yeah, she wrote it herself. And cool. if you tell her she didn't write it herself, she'll pop you in the fucking mouth. <laughs> the final record, Henry, that we're covering this episode is by a band called Depeche Mode. The album is called Speak and Spell. This is under the heading of Shit We Like. And this song is New Life.
1: This is not Depeche Mode that you and I know. It's not
2: interesting because I I'm, I'm going to go in a whole different direction. But go and extrapolate, please. I
1: agree with you that this this is a different sounding band than later yeah, more, Depeche Mode. More sing than what I'm used to. I would I was never an I had an aversion to Depeche Mode most of the time because I always felt like they were pretenders to sort of that whole goth. Throne thing. They all they never rang true to me, and I think it's because the first record I heard was probably Violator.
2: Ooh, so you're you're late. You
1: were late. You know late what to I mean. Game. So I, when they they when I first heard of Depeche Mode, they were international superstars then. So I I immediately slagged them as like not being underground, mm. you know. Okay. And um in in later years, I've grown to sort of respect it a little more, but. But as a as a kid, I'd put them in that bucket, but and and I never heard this. I didn't even know this. Exi- this wasn't available to me at all. Okay. So um, it was very. It's very obvious to me that like Martin Gore wasn't writing this music, you know. And so I went and looked into it. So um, anyway, I'm not an enormous fan of this one. I think it's. Um, I don't. I don't like the. Uh, they sort of. It just seems simple and. Not, I, I like it a little darker. Gotta say,
2: I, on the other hand, uh, picked "New Life" because it's the first track on this record. Because th- this basically is the first track, definitively, to Chris switching from listening to regular rock and roll really? '80s music to. Um, what he? This is what opened my doorway to going, oh, there's another world out there of really? music. So you so heard in, this record? In, ni- in, in seventh grade, my good friend Robert Presley, who was in shop class with me, uh-huh. um, had an older sister who knew my older brother. Uh-huh. And we were both, uh, I guess in shop in seventh grade uh, in Johnson City, you had to have a partner so that made sure one guy didn't, like, solder his hand <laughs> to the table or whatever. Yeah. But uh, my shop partner said that his sister had told him that my brother had a Joy Division record, uh-huh. which I knew and had heard through the door of my brother's uh, room. Uh-huh. And, he, and Robert said, could you get me a copy of that Joy Division record? And I, I, so this was the first um, – we didn't call mixtapes then, but it was the first tape that I made. I dubbed a copy of Joy Division for him.
1: Of the whole record.
2: He also wanted. Uh, I was way into BMX bikes, and he wanted a copy of BMX Plus magazine, which I had. So I brought him that and that tape. I remember it specifically. Didn't know. I didn't know I was getting anything re- in return. Uh huh. And Robert gave me a tape with Speak and Spell on side A, and some great reward. The next Depeche Mode record. Really. Which came out in 83, so that, that he must have done that in 83 or 84. Did you listen to him in order? I had just gotten a Walkman. Oh. So the first tape that ever hit my Walkman and the first sound I heard was speaking oh, spell. Sorry. New light. <laughs> I say you're slagged on your... And life. I mean, <laughs> I haven't heard it in a long time, and when I cranked it up for our research, it was like an old friend had come Oh, home. really? <laughs> um, so, Henry, I, I personally am a violator... Uh, first fan, too. I like yeah. that era when me and you kind of went back into it. Yeah. But this album, to me, was like, hello, you're going to soon discover the Smiths. Hello, you're going to discover stuff that you really like. This this was not this quite like my... Intri- like entry. But this was my entry to cool. This was like,
1: yeah. no one else but you. me and
2: some guy named Robert Presley are listening to this shit in East Tennessee.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So, and of course, People Are People was on... Some Great Reward, and that became my favorite song. Um, I gravitated to that one Mm -hmm. um, because it was already – I think it was already a minor hit, so I kind of knew that one. But but everything Henry said was absolutely correct except – um, I would say they still sounded revolutionary to, to if us. You, if you were listening to this for the first time back mm-hmm. then, even though definitely Martin Gore probably wasn't writing these songs. You looked it up. I guess he wasn't. He was. Um, and they definitely don't sound like what Depeche Mode would become. Yeah. This shit sounded revolutionary. Still
1: the same singer, though.
2: Same singer. But well, I mean, still when gay. Huh? When you're thinking really crazy music is The yeah. Police – I got news for you. There's some other crazy shit coming down the pipe, and and so I I love this. I'm not Henry. That story is the only thing I wrote down because I felt like I was so un yeah,
1: I'm so um biased there, that look, I'm not allowed to have an opinion. You're not, yeah, but, that's the thing is you know you have records that that have emotional connections. Yes, right? and they just it's not really about what it is. I I like this record so much because of that. When you yeah. slagged
2: on it, I, my jaw Sorry. was just going.
1: Uh, now I feel bad. Huh? <laughs> now what? I feel bad. You should have told your story. <laughs> I feel I'm sure other records are the same way. No, this is me. great. I,
2: I like. It. I am definitely going to recommend it. But again, maybe you shouldn't listen to what I. I I'm going to abstain. I'm, gonna, I'm. I need to abstain because I love so, this record.
1: So yeah, the guy who wrote these things was uh, Vince Clark. His real name is Vincent John Martin, and he was. He's this other half of Erasure. Right. And he was. So like, it's not like he didn't find success in the way that he should go. And also, okay. he
2: thought of himself as such a badass that he like left Depeche Mode and not just started right. Erasure. I think he started another band too. But like, he was like, at the time, people He'd thought he enough. was the talented yeah. member. Like, right. like when he left,
1: people thought Depeche was done. I, I suppose Martin Gore was already showing what he has. And, uh, and I think he was, that was set an up ego. with the dark. There's a lot of different. There's it was a lot of different reasons why he left the band. They said, but uh, like rumors. But he said that he thought that Depeche Mode's material was a little too dark for his taste, but it was still good. Um, I think it was very similar. Again, all roads lead back to Genesis. Uh, Peter Gabriel never
2: hated those guys, yeah. and he never thought that they weren't doing good stuff. He just it wasn't for him. I think this
1: guy very similarly mm-hmm. was like. I'm not gonna cut on those guys, but it he, wasn't me. And so I went and look you know, I've taken to trying to find this the internet is great for this now, interviews from people of that time and I found some. He is um a pretty deadpan guy. And of the two guys in erasure, he's not the, the main dude in the front. He's no. the keyboard right. He's the he, he's like it seems like that's the role of the keyboard player. Like You stand back there and be cool. Like he reminds me of the other dude in Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, the other guy in the Pet Shop Boys. (laughs) Or he's the guy in Duran Duran that plays. You know, they are the stoic guys behind the keyboard directing traffic. Right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And he's that guy in this band. So I can totally see why he might not have been the right guy for them. Going forward, especially as dark as Gahan probably is capable of going. I also like that. He, I also but,
2: like. I've never was an erasure fan, but I liked his confidence because he's never looked back and been like, "I should have stayed." With the yeah, ba- well,
1: you got to get the look. If you've got a band that gives you personal Jesus, or you've got a band that's going to give you that, you need to get out of the way of that. Well, and also, you know? <laughs> and also, I don't. I think it shows that he was never but, in
2: it just for money because he's never yeah. been like, "Man, I could have made." a million dollars if I'd have stayed in the patch. he did exactly what he wanted and he was happy for him uh-huh. but I, I, I I'll come to it later but the first track on Violator to me too at the, when we were listening to music in the uh-huh. 90's blew me away I was just like these guys are yeah amazing but this, this, this tape that tape Speak and Spell <laughs> and
1: um, the, the other record well, let's give him another shout out what it's was his amazing. name Maybe find his, what's his name the Who's guy that? that gave you the tape. What's oh, it? his name is Robert Presley. Robert Presley, if you're out there. If you're fi- out there, Robert. Find us, okay? Yes. Uh, all Points Bulletin. You guys go find Robert Presley. Robert
2: points. Presley, originally from Mississippi. I remember he's a Mississippi State Bulldog fan. Robert, thank you for that tape. Changed my life, buddy. All right. All right, Henry, let's find out if Megan liked these records as much as we did. I think we each had three recommends in this, in this episode. I think so. All right, here's Megan.
3: Hey everyone, it's Megan here, your resident millennial uh, for 80s Music Exposed. Of course, we're talking about September 1981. um, And of course, I have to mention um, an album by one of my all-time favorite bands, Depeche Mode. It's their first album, Speak and Spell, um, one that Vince Clark was still on. Um, Obviously, he was in the very early um, version of the band um, once he left to do his own stuff. Uh, with erasure and um, martin gore ended up kind of being the more primary songwriter which i prefer it's a little darker a little weirder but i love this album too i mean you can't go wrong with just can't get enough it's such a good song it's really fun and it was cool because like they're going to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame which is awesome um and i'll be curious to see if vince clark and Alan Wilder, too, um, if they make an appearance. I'm kind of hoping, well, I am hoping, not kind of hoping for a tour, because the last time Depeche Mode toured was in 2017 for the Global Spirit Tour. I got to see them at DTE, a.k.a. Pine Knob. All my Michiganders will hopefully recognize that, Um, but I'm hoping that they go again. I would love to see them, and I'm probably going to drop way too much money so I can get up in, like, the first few, like, front rows, um, just because they're one of my favorites, so I definitely, I I think it'll be worth it, so fingers crossed. And another album that we're discussing this month is Private Eyes by Hall & Oates. And it's pretty serendipitous, actually, that we're talking about this album because I just got tickets for my boyfriend and I to go see Hall Notes in July, also at DTE. I'm really excited. I've never seen them before, but my friend uh, Brenna, she's seen them a few times, and she said that they still sound great, so... Looking forward to that, and Squeeze is touring with them, so I'll get to see them. And they're kind of one of those bands I never really thought I would get to see them, so I'm excited. Um, I think that's a good pairing, Hall and Oates and Squeeze. So I'm hoping that it will be a good show. Those are my. I only have a few concerts planned for the year so far, so um, that should be a good one. We also discussed a Cabaret Voltaire album and a Genesis album this month. Um, I love both of those bands. I know it might be kind of surprising to hear that I like Genesis, but um, I really do. My boyfriend has kind of gotten me into Genesis and Steely Dan, um, and so has this show, because I've gotten to like listen to some albums that I maybe wouldn't have necessarily explored. So thank you so much, Chris and Henry. And if you want to follow little old me... Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, my name is Megan Maddox, and I'm also on Instagram at Bastards of Young 92. So thank you so much for listening, guys, and uh, I will talk to you again.
2: This month was intense for me. Me too, because I almost recommended all five records. It's tough. I was very close except for that Marianne Faithful record.
1: My, my, my mouth dropped open on Cabaret Voltaire and Marianne Faithful. And I, as it happens for this whole fucking project, it's like, oh, I've got more listening to do. I have more things that I want to listen to now. Right, and that's you know, at first it's not just about grabbing shit out and like passing judgment on it. But then you realize you got whole veins of shit, well, whole veins the, of music that you haven't looked at or. Well, twenty
2: nineteen also is the first year in maybe ten years that when I went to make my top ten list of music from this year. I couldn't really make ten selections because I've been listening to so much um, 1981 music, but not in a way like I'm feeling bad about it. It's like you said, it's like there's a bunch of stuff that I missed, right. that I
1: like. I mean, and I thought I knew stuff. I really did. <laughs> I felt like I did too, but there's <laughs> stuff out there that I didn't. And you know, you see, you hear people say, well, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. And, and, and I guess that's true. Uh, um, but really glad that I, uh, I get to Enjoy Marion, and Faithful, and Cabaret Voltaire, particularly this time.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna if I've got to go with one record for this, even though obviously for sentimental reasons, Speak and Spell is my uh, has a special place. I'm going with Abacab just because to me it's 80s canon. You you
1: need to listen to this if you want to know what the 80s sound like. And then for me, I always pick the most challenging listen, so it's going to be Cabaret Voltaire for me. For sure, I mean we go going there. Um, all
2: right, so many thanks to our show producer Greg Levin, and if you like the way we sound, you can talk to him at
1: Urban Dweller on Instagram. Thankful to have him on our team. Many thanks also to Megan Maddox, our social media maven. If you want to start a social media argument with us, you'll probably be arguing with her. Any safe grounds, Chris? No, I'm all out man. Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape.